This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, today's guest is John Foreman, guitarist and lead vocalist for the San Diego, California rock band, Switchfoot. Together we break down the writing, recording, and release of the band's massive breakout hit single, Meant to Live, taken from their 2003 major label debut, The Beautiful Letdown. John mentioned that oddly enough he wrote this big rock song with massive guitars on an acoustic guitar very quickly in one sitting. The song was written late in the writing process for the album, so John didn't even have a chance to demo the tune. However, once in the studio, it was the first song the band recorded. He talked about how producer John Fields liked to work at a breakneck pace, keeping the spontaneity and energy flowing at all times while they recorded, something John Fields helped the immediacy of the recording. I told John that the song has some of the biggest and fattest guitars, albeit with an underlying cleanliness and sparkle to them, which is funny considering he scrambled and asked a friend if he could borrow some amps before the sessions began. I think he picked the right ones. For all this and a whole lot more, stick around. This is a fun one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. I just dropped out of college. And good for you me too <laughs> and you know you drop out of college and you've got a lot of a lot of extra time <laughs> on your hands <laughs> and i was i was renting an apartment down near the beach and i was i actually wrote it on an acoustic guitar which is kind of odd because it's it's definitely a electric guitar kind of riff for sure but i remember playing around with just that one particular interval of that feeling the lower string bend, which isn't that common. Yeah. And letting the the one above it resonate at the same time. And that that's kind of where the song came from, I suppose. That string bend's awesome. I I still can't get it right. I've kept kept playing with it. And <laughs> I'm, I'm not a string bend guy. I've never really done much of that stuff. And uh, it's tricky if you haven't. And uh, I, I could probably uh, fool someone if I was a cover band at the bar down the road. But, but other than that, not, not great. But that part's really cool. I was a big fan of B.B. King and he could make just one note be the meal, you know, and <laughs> where you you think you hear that one note and that's all you needed, you know. So and he definitely was was my inspiration in a lot of ways as a kid. Now, this was some time ago when you when you wrote this. Did you have a pro tool set up? How, did you demo the song or anything like that? You remember Cakewalk? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had a cracked version of Cakewalk that somebody had given me like. Um, this friend of mine had built me a computer and, you know, up until that point I'd been recording on like the Roland VS 880s and, right. and like the four tracks, I had a four track that caught on fire. 
<laughs> this is all, you know, back in the 1900s. I haven't heard cakewalking forever. That was just a blip on the radar for a minute. But the ir- irony is this song, we actually, I never demoed it. Um, oh. I demoed the the rest of the record. And then we went in to produce the record with Fields. I met Fields a week and a half before. And I was like, hey, we need we need to make a record. You seem like the right guy. And it was all very fortuitous. A studio was open. We went in. And that was the very first song that we tracked was Meant to Live. Wow. And, um, we were working really fast. We only had the studio for like six days. So we're getting two songs done every day. And I remember we were testing. We were saying, okay, we want to cut drums to tape and see if it's better than cutting straight to Pro Tools. The old saturation argument. <laughs> yes. And so we, we did two performances, um, one that we liked to tape and one that we liked straight to Pro Tools. And we loved the the saturation of the tape, but we liked the performance better for the Pro Tools one. Ah. So the rest of the record has drums that were cut to tape, but that one <laughs> just went straight to Pro Tools. And it is that thing where at the end of it all, I don't know that anyone can hear the difference um, once it's mixed and mastered. That's what I wanted to say, you know, and for the listeners, what we're talking about here with saturation, you know, the drums are just going to have that analog feel when you go to tape. They're going to sound a little fatter, and uh, then you can, of course, bounce it to Pro Tools uh, digitally. But, um, you know, most people are consuming their music through uh, two-inch earbuds these days. I just don't know <laughs> if you're, if you're going to hear that in the amount of time, as you know, to go to tape and then transfer everything when you can just uh, do some nice little cuts and slices in Pro Tools. It doesn't seem that, that that worth it but good for you guys for trying that and a lot of bands were doing that then it was funny that after all that that was the only song that we didn't cut analog <laughs> you know <laughs> which if, in retrospect you're like well i guess we could have cut the whole thing to, to pro tools anyways when you showed it to the rest of the band and even yourself what what did, what did you think of it and what did, what did john uh, fields think of it what did, what did the band think i mean obviously you cut it first but you didn't demo it and it sounds like it was something that was maybe written later in the process you know, rock songs are always hard for me to write. I can always come up with sad, introspective, like depressing music <laughs> that comes to me really readily. Even, you know, yearning, longing, honest stuff, but um, something that feels anthemic and big and like you want to turn your amp up. Maybe it's because I don't usually write music when I'm when I'm feeling happy. <laughs> so for me that this this was like the first song that I'd ever written that felt you know like it captured that let's turn the amps up let's play it loud and and it feels congruent with with the sounds and the, the lyrics everything fit together when you initially wrote it was it pretty much what it is now or did it go through some evolutions when when you got with John and 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 worked on it or was all the lyrics there and pretty much all the parts and the arrangement everything was there yeah i mean we were tracking so fast we didn't really have time to change anything we would cut the song and then get most of the most of the parts on, you know, overdubs and everything, and then we cut a, another song after lunch. Okay, cause, and, and the reason I asked that, and I don't want to give, you know, let the cat out of the bag too early here, but I, I thought this was going to be a producer thing. The tension at the end when you go to D and you never go back to the big <laughs> other two choruses, it's, incre- yeah. it's incredible. That part is one of the coolest parts in a song. And I thought maybe that was something, that, you know, a lot of producers in the 11th hour go, we should try something weird here. And you're like, what? You know, so right. that you actually were doing that when you, when you wrote it on acoustic? I think just kind of holding that 
the open strings, just letting them ring just felt so good. And then again, more bends, you know, because I love bends. <laughs> I always like a song that feels like every part of it has a purpose for its existence. Mm-hmm. You know, the second verse should have something that adds to the sonic texture, something that feels like, oh, this is a new element, you know. Even the, I think in, in Meant to Live, the vocal melody changes and the pattern changes a little bit just to kind of say, hey, this is a new part of the song. Yes, it's similar to the first verse, but we got to make it mean something. And, and for me, that last chorus, the reason for its existence is that it feels like somewhat of an arrival. It's one of the strangest endings of a song to do that, and but strange in the greatest way. Like I, I was completely marveling over it when I was dissecting the song. I'm like, and again, we'll we'll really dive in dive into it in a little bit. But when you brought it to John Fields, the producer, what was his initial reaction to the track? Was he into it? Was the word "hit" thrown around because you know you guys hadn't really had a, had a hit at, at this point? It was your first major label record. John Fields is so great. I love. We've had the privilege of working with a lot of amazing people, and he's absolutely one of them. And yeah, he he gravitates. He would say the word "hit." You know, that's a hit. He's he's a. <laughs> we had producers say that on every one of our records. We never had one. So <laughs> I need to meet John Fields. <laughs> I know, right? No, I mean, it, what is a hit? You know, it's it's funny because um, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. But um, I think ultimately. You know, sometimes when you're chasing something that moves somebody else, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't move you. I think that that's another thing that Fields really is good at is making sure that he's moved by it. And I think the the irony was this was a very different song for us as a band. Earlier records didn't have anything this heavy on it. Mm-hmm. And so I actually had to borrow some amps from my friend to to kind of find the way to voice you know the parts i was hearing um my friend matt beckley gave me gave me amps i'm like hey i can i borrow some amps i gotta get some some heavier stuff here i'm really happy you said that because I don't talk about amp setups on this show. I don't get into that because I don't want to lose listeners, okay? That's going a little a little too far out of the <laughs> songwriting. I do want to talk about that in a moment because I'm telling you, yeah. this is one of the most killer distorted guitar tones I've ever heard put put to record. It is so mm. fat and great. And again, this record's uh, going on 20 years old and it still sounds modern and current. It's great. Thank you, man. Yeah, it was, it was funny. So my friend Matt, he's an incredible musician in his own right. I went to college with him and I was, he's up in LA. I'm like, Matt, I got to borrow some of your gear. And <laughs> so he lent me a bunch of things. And do you recall what guitar and what amp setup there was for this? I'm pretty sure it's, it was his, uh, his bad cat. And it was this special cabinet that he had that had one speaker open and one speaker closed. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what we used. Again, we were we were going so fast. We we weren't really keeping track of what we were doing. It was kind of like, does it sound good? Go. And that, that's my favorite way to work, you know. Yeah, and and it's going back twenty years too. You know, I, I'm I'm expecting yeah. a lot when I ask that. Sometimes of artists like, you remember this setup? But um, <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about it a little bit. I don't like I said I don't get too much into gear on the show. The tone of it, it's just fat. It's thick. It sounds mean, but there's also this clean component to it. It's like the perfect uh, sound for this song. It's awesome. Well, thanks, man. I do remember when we were tracking. I had this idea to kind of have a strummy acoustic in the verses where the the electrics would die out and the the strummy acoustic thing would would play underneath the vocals 
And that was one of the things that Fields had definitely put his foot down. And, and my brother as well, who plays bass in the band, Tim, was like, why are you, why are you doing that? It should be a rock song. Why do you want to play acoustic on it? You know. Well, again, not to foreshadow too much, but we'll get into the acoustics when they come into the bridge. It's so awesome. Oh, thanks, man. It's so good. Yeah, so I'm glad they weren't in the verses because I think that they open up a whole new world there in the bridge when they come in. They're just, they're just, they're just beautiful. Thanks. I remember the bridge. I wrote that one in the back of a 15 passenger van. Not that you've ever been in the. 15 passenger van on tour before <laughs> no never <laughs> um, people don't know what they're missing john they really don't i'm telling you that's where all the good songs are written right oh yeah farts feet and everything else it's, it's a good time <laughs> so my brother and i i think it was you know the best songs they usually come together really quickly and i had the rest of the song and we were just kind of strumming it in the back of the van and and it came together somewhere up in northern california Bright sunny day, white fifteen passenger van. What could go wrong? There, well, there you go. And and man, it's a running theme on this show. A lot of the best songs were written very quickly. Was the rest of the song? I guess mine is the bridge. But was the rest of the song written quickly as well? Do you remember? Like you said, it was on acoustic. Was it? Did it come together pretty quick, or did you have to go back and like toy with a verse two, or was it pretty much all there in that first setting? No, I think it was. It was a fast one. Yeah, especially then I was just really writing quick and and having fun with it and. So, yeah, this one came together really fast. That's awesome. Well, we're going to jump into the song right now. The song is three minutes and 21 seconds. Uh, that guitar riff starts. It's just so cool. It's, uh, it starts off left. It pans right, left, and back right. Uh, then it's in stereo for a second until the six-second mark where we get a little reverse cymbal uh, and a guitar swell, and then it drops into the full band. <laughs> Really cool interplay between the two stereo guitars with one of them doing some awesome string bends uh, and it's just a killer groove here man the top of this song is really tight thank you it's fun to play live too because it it doesn't quite <laughs> play what you think it's gonna play I remember when we were first learning it to play as a band um, it doesn't go every other it's kind of a little bit more um, oddball i suppose i love songs that the guitar hook is one of the most important things and when this song starts i went and watched some live videos as soon as wow as soon as it starts the audience loses their mind it's just it's immediate i love riff rock you know i mean <laughs> yeah i was in a led zeppelin cover band when i was a kid and that was like <laughs> the reason is because you know you've got the electric guitar what else do you need it's the meal right there yeah, no, it's just, it's so cool when it, that guitar defines the song. And you, you guys would start, I watched a bunch of, pulled up a bunch of videos as I do when I, I always go, like to go watch the live renditions of songs. And uh, the minute that guitar hits, it's people lose their mind. It's fun. It's fun to play. Well, um, of course, this song is in drop D. Uh, verse one starts at the 19 second mark. Fumbling is confidence and wondering why the world is past him Fumbling his confidence and wondering why the world has passed him by. 
hoping that he's bet for more than arguments and failed attempts to fly. And you say fly again. What's going on here, John? You could say it's a college kid trying to define who he is and why he is. I am a big fan of Kierkegaard and I think the existential crisis of who we are and why we are is kind of at the root of many of the other things that we're wrestling with. And Did you say Kierkegaard? Yeah. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Sorry. What, what is that? Soren Kierkegaard is a Danish philosopher who basically many would call him the father of existentialism, which is a philosophical tradition. And his wrestle with, with, with philosophy took the form of why are we here, you know, and, and finding it kind of an existential crisis that out of that crisis, we're thrust into this new idea where we have this weight to what we do and why we do it. And so I, I thought, I find, especially during this season of my life, a lot of my lyrics were driven from that kind of a place. That's cool inspiration that you you had that. I've always wished. I mean, I've written about whatever before, but I've you know to have one like philosopher, someone I could I could key in on. I've I've never I've never really had that. When people share that, I almost have like songwriting envy. You know, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> <laughs> hope I find, hope I find that mojo someday. You know, when this verse starts, the band stops and the guitars are ringing over the vocals on these first two lines. Uh, and then between that, the band comes in for two measures and the drums are playing like the staccato rhythm on the snare and drums. It's, it's, it's so cool. Do you remember that part coming together? I mean, obviously you wrote this on acoustic, but when you got in there to actually track the song, it was the first uh, song you tracked. Was that part already worked out or was that something you were putting together in the studio? I guess you didn't do a demo. So was there any kind of pre-production? Yeah. I'm trying to think back on that too. Um, at the time we'd be like rehearsing wherever we could, you know, Southern California, especially now, but even then it was hard to find a, a spot to rehearse. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of the beat just kind of happened there when we, when we first tracked it mm -hmm. and Chad's really got a lot of great instinct. And, and I, I feel like this part is pretty much what he would play just kind of upon first hearing it, you know, that's, something that's right in his wheelhouse. Well, a lot of times in a verse too, you don't have a musical interlude of two measures before the second half of the verse starts. It's not even the second half. I, I, I'm counting this all as one verse, but was there ever talk of, no, these four, these four lyrics here, four lines of lyrics need to all be in succession, or was that part always there when you wrote it? No, I think it was all there. Um, and again, I, I was thinking we would string them together with the acoustics to kind of keep the energy the, uh, consistent. And I'm really glad we didn't, but in my head, that's how the verse was coalescing was with the acoustics <laughs> kind of bring it all together. I'm glad you say I'm, I'm not really worried about the acoustics. It almost sounded like you, you're still thinking about it, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> 20 years later, those dang acoustics should still be there. <laughs> I've let it go. I've let it go. Okay. You're, you're, John, John's passed it. Everybody It happens again. That stop on the second line, hoping that he's bet for more than arguments and failed attempts. I also wrote here, who who mixed the record? Was it did John Fields mix it as well? So we mixed the entire record with John Fields in LA, and then we had a couple songs that we chose to have mixed by other people. So I think this one and Dairy to Move were mixed by Tom Lord Alge okay. in Florida. 
Okay. Funny you should say that because I've worked with Tom. I've worked with his brother, Chris. The Lordologies just have this thing, right? And I wrote here, yeah. I love the vocal treatment. And I thought it was one of the Lordology brothers. I wasn't going to yeah. say that, but it's interesting. Uh, I, I can hear it. It's just, it's so good. It's atmospheric. Mm. It, it, it's awesome. Yeah, they're they're a lot of fun to work with. Yeah, and every time they definitely everything is is right there. Um, <laughs> the first time you hear it, you're like, wow, how did how did that happen? Yeah, no, the vo- the vocal treatment's awesome. Um, chorus one starts at the 45 second mark. Happen that happens quick. We go to the key of G here, which uh, uh, is important because uh, that last chorus, as we talked about, goes goes to the D. But uh, but we're in G here. meant to live for so much more have we lost ourselves somewhere we live inside somewhere we live inside we were meant to live for so much more have we lost ourselves somewhere we live inside i think again kind of the the quandary of what it means to be human and i think you can get really granular for me as a college dropout i i do think i was wrestling with a lot of different things as you do when you're 19 trying to figure out like what is worth living for so the whole crux of the song i feel like it's pretty a pretty simple lyric and i love the use of questions i always think questions are probably more powerful than answers mm-hmm. um and i think have we lost ourselves is a is kind of that's the backbone of the entire song and it never really resolves that question but um knowing that we're meant to live for more i suppose that's some form of resolution right there i'm glad you said what you just said because you know i i'm cautious with my words sometimes on this show you never want to offend somebody and the lyric here is kind of simple and sometimes a simple lyric is just it's too straightforward or it's just too literal but what is here it speaks and the fact that you knew it could be a simple lyric and, and, and still deliver it, it is great i mean if we're going back to kierkegaard he said purity of heart is to will one thing and I feel like simple things like, a, you know, in, in art, purity of art maybe might be to will one thing, you know, do yeah. one thing well. But I mean, most of my favorite works of art, they don't try and encompass the in, entire planet. They're trying to do one thing and speak to that one thing. So I, I, I get caught in that all the time where I'm trying to <laughs> say 14 things at the same time. You know? I mean, I love Rush and I love Bad Religion, but that's some highbrow lyrics in both of those bands. And it's just like, sometimes, yeah. it goes, sometimes it goes over people's heads and you need to make it a little more simple. But no one said these words how you put them here. They're unique and, and, and they're great. Next, I dare you. Hey, I don't dare you to move. I dare you to stay right here with us because we got lots more with John Foreman from Switchfoot after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. 
Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. Do you enjoy the content and production of Chris Demakes a podcast? Do you have an idea for a podcast or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level? Well, check out weknowpodcasting.com. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting. And now, back to the show. Um, the drums in the chorus are playing a fairly straightforward beat, reminiscent of the intro, and then there's that palm-muting guitar. I, I wrote my notes, the chicka-chicka, uh, yeah. and, and the string bends throughout here. We get the first harmonies in the song on the line... Uh, but on the lines, have we lost ourselves? It happens twice. It's a very subtle, low harmony. I love that harmony. Do you do you recall how that came about? Was that something uh, John suggested or something you came up with? Yeah, so I remember, um, again, when you're working with fields, you're working quick, and I love that, where you're literally running, you know? And so we had a pig nose amplifier that we would plug in just like a 57 58 or something like that into it and we would sing through the pig nose into whatever vocal mic we were using so that distortion that you hear on the background vocal track is actually in the room it's just sung through and through the pig nose which is super fun wow that is cool <laughs> so that you're not affecting it later. It's just that's that's what you have. It's already distorted. So you're committing to it right then. Yeah. 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 Which is tough to do sometimes. And again, you're not thinking about it. You're not obsessing and going, well, should we try this or this amp or this? It's yeah. just like, no, there it is. It sounds great. Let's go. Yeah. And I love that. I love producers that keep it moving. There's nothing worse than lamenting on a part for six hours. And at the end of it, you, you still didn't get anywhere. That's <laughs> you want... <laughs> you want to talk oh, about you want to talk about frustrating right yeah no and i do think that there's a ideas have a shelf life you know yeah where i've heard jazz musicians talk about kind of the bell curve where on the xy axis you've got you're learning the song you're improving that's getting better but your enjoyment level of the song is also coming down every time you play it <laughs> yeah. you like it less you know <laughs> never thought about it like that yeah you got to hit the sweet spot, like the third or fourth take. After that, you're kind of like, well, let's forget it. Let's do it tomorrow. Well, how many times have you done uh, what I call a scratch vocal or something? I've done it all the time where you go you know, to do a couple more takes and, and the producer's going, no, we already got it. What do you mean? At first, when you did, when you yeah. weren't thinking about it. 
Exactly. Something to be said for that kind of spontaneity. The post-chorus I'm calling here, right after the chorus, there's like this drum breakdown groove again, but it's a new chord progression that comes in. Big drop D riff for two measures. Where did that come from? That that introducing a new riff. It's almost like you'd go back to the intro riff there before verse two. It, it's great. Yeah, so much of this happened so fast. I think we're just having fun. Fields definitely has a great grasp on chordal elements and and you know the musical moments. And I remember just having fun dreaming up where it could go. I, I think it being being our first song, we weren't thinking about it too much, you know. So it was like let's try this. Let's do that. Let's try this. So I'm pretty sure a lot of these elements kind of came together on the spot. Yeah. Well, that part, that part's great. And it's a perfect setup for verse two. Dreaming about providence and whether my have second tries. Maybe we've been living with our eyes half open. Maybe we're bent and Dreaming about Providence and whether mice or men have second tries. Love that lyric. Maybe we've been living with our eyes half open. Maybe we're bent and broken. Broken. I love Steinbeck, and so that's a little reference. little nod to that. And I, I like the fact that it's Steinbeck and that the bridge came from Northern California. It feels like it ties in there. And then I like maybe a lot. I, again, with questions in the chorus and maybe, I think when you make big statements about the way the world is, it doesn't leave any room for the listener to find their place in the story. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just ask a question and say, maybe it allows me, the listener to say, well, do I agree with that sentiment or not? It, it forces me as a listener to kind of, I guess, invest myself in the storyline. Interesting. Well, you touched on this earlier, um, and this this second verse uh, mimics the first in that uh, the band does those stops after you know the first two lines or the first line, excuse me, and, and the third line. But what I love, uh, and and you talked about you know li liking to build a song and change things up from first verse to second verse and, and what have you. The last two lines here, the melody changes, and it's awesome. It's killer where the melody goes there, and. With, again, from the original demo, I know it's been been a while and it's, it happened quickly, but do you recall that uh, that being the same or did you want something different there? No, I remember that was the way it was written. It's funny because I often will try and treat songs like Sudoku where you're trying to make it all match and make it all even. But um, I think my favorite songs are the ones that have things that poke out and feel different, you know, and so... I'm trying to remind myself even now make make things quirky make things weird you know those are the things that stick with you man you just uh, uh touched on a memory for me i haven't thought of this probably in 25 years i think it was our first major label record i wanted the second verse to be like the first verse and the producer saying why is the word go there at the end well because it's the same syllables as the first like it doesn't need to be there I'm like, yeah, but then it's not. He's like, no, why does that matter? He's like, did the Beatles do that? He starts listening to all these bands. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and I yeah. never, I, I was like you. I thought it was like a, like a puzzle where it had to kind of be the same and there's no rules in songwriting. Yeah, and if anything, the things that make it different 
that, those are the things that stick with you. That's a peanut butter in there, right? It just kind of <laughs> yeah. keeps you chewing on it. Well, um, we're now in uh, chorus number two, and um, right before chorus number two, you let out this this owl. Was that just you were clearing your throat, checking the mic, something that was left in there, or was that was that intentional? I'm sure it was intentional. Um, the beautiful thing about rock and roll is it's so many of the things that happen, you can't really figure out why they happen or why you like them. But uh-huh. the visceral elements that that I think that drew, drew me to Led Zeppelin, for example, you know, it wasn't his lyrical prowess, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just the way it made me feel. So I feel like that that's probably where that was coming from. Okay. Okay. Cause yeah, that's sometimes those little, those little accents happen. I was, you know, I've had people say I was just warming up my voice and the, you know, the mixer left it in, you know, it's like, Oh, that's cool. Right. Chorus two. Here you hold out inside. You, you, you give it a, a good long hold out at the end there. And then we come into a reintro for four measures here. And it's not the post chorus riff that was going on, it is actually uh, back to the reintro. I think the intro hook is kind of the strongest thing. So we're trying to figure out how many places we could put that in those things you were mentioning um the chickas or the rockas or whatever you want to call those <laughs> yeah, things the chickas <laughs> we um yeah we ended up i remember tracking them there's there's like harmonics that we tracked and overdubbed into those because yeah. it, we, every now and then they would come through but we were like i remember saying oh we we need to actually bring them instead of muting them let's turn them up and and retract them with just the harmonics in there yeah, just it adds that grit to it. It's really cool. You know, now now we're into the bridge. And, you know, a lot of times the bridges are my favorite parts of songs. And I think with this one, it, it really is. There's something about this bridge that just, it is such a move in, a, in another direction. And then you get that last chorus, which we're going to get to in a second. So from the bridge out, this whole song is like, where's this thing going? more than this world's got to offer we want more than this world's got to offer we want more than the wars of our fathers and everything inside screams for second life yeah this lyric to me still feels intact and and very tangible and real when you're a kid we want more than the wars of our fathers means one thing but now that i have kids i have two kids and i think um what kind of planet am i leaving them you know um and i think it can mean the tanks and and guns and aircraft carriers 
but it can also mean the inner wars that we're all str- struggling with and wrestling with. And so, yeah, this bridge for me definitely feels powerful almost 20 years later. I think the lyrics great. I, I list, we want more than this world's got to offer me. Who doesn't, <laughs> who can't, yeah. who can't relate to that. And, and then the last line, just total goosebump moment and everything inside screams for second life. It's just, that, that that's great. Um, on the second line here, the bass guitar is playing some really catchy notes there. It's yeah. just the, the, the runs that are happening there are, are, are awesome. And it sounds like single notes on a guitar turned into feedback there on that second line that, that's happening. So the bass, um, my brother Tim plays the bass, and he is so good at, he's deceptively good because he, he's not showy or flashy or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, like John Entwistle kind of stuff. It's, it's all very um, tasteful, but it, it's the stuff that you need to, to really make that section pop, you know? And then a lot of the guitar stuff, the feedback and all that, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of seeing what just what happens when you track and sometimes what is that um the mistake reveals the hidden intention the idea that (laughs) i've never heard that that's great yeah like sometimes feedback will tell you where you want to go you know the feedback will kind of there it is I, i feel like those wrong notes are the right ones you know yeah, well, this whole part, you know, you got the big guitars ringing out when this bridge happens. The acoustic guitars come in. The shakers are now in. You got some shakers present. Stereo guitars are still strumming underneath, but they're mixed really low. You can feel them more than you can hear them. And am I hearing some single note pianos or is these guitar harmonics in there? Do you do you recall? So, yeah, I finally got the acoustics in there, right? <laughs> yeah, here we go. You 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 arrived. Here's here's John's moment. He got his darn acoustics. There it is. Um, and yeah, we, we, I think we did big, the, the place we were tracking, uh, Sage and Sound up in LA, which I don't think is there anymore, had this great piano and the low octaves, when you hit a octave down there, it just felt beautiful and grand. And so I think we, we would do that. I think the, maybe even the whole way out, even in the chorus coming out is that there's a, there's the presence of these big grand piano hits i thought i heard some piano there it's so it's so great that's, that's really cool was that something again that john thought of you guys thought of or one of his tricks that's one of his tricks I, I mean a lot of these tricks are things that we now do all the time so it's it's almost hard to know was that his or not but most of the things we do we learn from him so i'm pretty sure we learned it from him during that session i've always said i'm the luckiest sob in the world uh, think of the education that we got working with these guys some of these guys are geniuses like oh, i yeah. got to work with rob cavallo green day's guy it's like yep. the stuff this guy would tell me and, and that i learned is just you can't put a price tag on that no it's so fun I, and rob's great yeah, yeah. <laughs> rob is a, a unique man hi rob if you're if you're listening for some reason i love you buddy um going into the last chorus here at the very end of, of the bridge the drums, the snare and the toms, uh, the breakdown comes back there on the end. And on the yeah, it sounds like your voice breaks up and kind of cracks there. Was, again, that intentional or, or, or was that uh, a cracked voice and you're like, nope, that's the take? I'm pretty sure I probably said, oh, we got we to gotta take it again. And Tim and... <laughs> <laughs> Tim and Fields are like, no, man, that's it. There we go. It's rock and roll, right? You're yeah. leaving it in. You're leaving yeah. it in. Because it it really, to me, the crack in your voice there, 
it's it's human emotion. I don't think you could probably go back and try to emulate that fake. Cra- I, don't, I don't even know if you try to make your voice crack live when you do it, but you can't you can't fake something like that, really. Yeah, and it's so funny too how um, all the inconsistencies and the idiosyncratic elements that are you could call them mistakes truly make a song human, which is what we want. We want human mm-hmm. music. We don't want robots, you know. Yeah, no, for sure, and that's again why. You know, I talk about it all the time on the show. It's like Pro Tools, copy and paste the first, second, and third choruses. When when you hear that in pop music, that's why a lot of it sounds generic. You know, you're not you're not making stuff uh, uh, be its own thing and and breathe and have those little little mistakes as, as we call them that uh, that make it feel real. Uh, this last chorus here, I know we talked about it a couple of times. I want to get into it. on this third chorus is so great it doesn't go back to that big the big g of the other choruses one and two but you know the the riff kind of revolves around that big drop d chord did john ever say no we got to go back to the other chorus what are you doing here or let's do half of it this way and then jump to the other thing because that's the really really cool thing about the bridge is the reason that i think it had to go to d because it goes to that killer c chord uh, at the very end of the bridge and then to G, where you would normally start the chorus, but now you're already in G, that you had to go somewhere else. It is a key change, but it doesn't feel like one. Yeah, and the the vocal stays in the same melody, the same range, you know? Yeah. And so it, I I think it adds this tension. I think I can't I can't remember how that came to be, but I do remember again being just loving the way that those open lower strings drop D A. D just ringing those things out at the bottom there. It, it's so, it's, again, it's such a visceral feeling where you, <laughs> you hit that and you know what I'm talking about, where it just feels so good. And so I think that was kind of what maybe what dri- drove the whole thing. It, and I also think it's odd, and don't take this the wrong way. I almost feel like this chorus could have been chorus one, and chorus two and three could have been the other, the other ones at the top because mm. this is kind of droney. I don't, yeah. in, in, gosh, I, I don't want to say this, but I am. It's almost not as catchy as the other two, but I think it's a perfect way to end the song. The tension here is so good, and to your point, the melody's the same, even though the chords aren't. Yeah, I had to listen to it like three or four. I'm going, what the hell's going on here? Why does this feel so different? And then I picked up the guitar and went, I'm like, okay. Wow, that is yeah. that's a cool that's a cool trick I've never done. And these are things where, if you try and do the math of it again, the Sudoku puzzle, it, it there's, there's <laughs> no. something off. It's it's off, you know, but it feels off in the right way. Yeah, you were drunk when you did the puzzle. It's not working. Right. <laughs> no, this it, this part's perfect here. Um, we're getting the harmonies on "Have We Lost Ourselves" and uh, on the fourth line, "Have We Lost Ourselves." The melody changes there. It's that lower. I love that melody change there. And again, I'm going to ask you, you probably don't remember. Was that there from the beginning or is that something you were toying with in the studio? I'm sure it was just a response to the music that we had to change it because of the chordal differences of of 
chorus three versus chorus one and two. I love the backing vocals here on the We Were Meant to Live, the live they hold out there underneath. It's just yeah. that that layer here was never there in the other choruses. So again, the song's building, you're, you're introducing different stuff, and, and, and that part's great. And the very last line is just sung by you alone. Um, and then there's like three quarters of a, of a measure alone of the intro uh, over that running theme, the snare and Tom uh, drum breakdown, and then you're ending on a big open E chord. And that's how yeah. the song ends. Yeah, which, again, was that there from the beginning? Where'd that come from? I think, I mean, again, I think it was just that first time playing through the song. It just felt like, here's here's where it's going to go. Endings of songs are always very, they're tricky, you know? Yeah. Some songs are, like, the reason why you have these long fades on songs is because of the people in the studio couldn't figure out how to end it, you know? <laughs> so true. I've, I, I, I've said that before. It's like, why is this song fade? It's like, they couldn't figure out how to friggin' end it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, and the endings can sometimes feel like I, I love ending on the, the E because it really doesn't resolve. I, I think it matches the tension of the lyric and the, the rest of the song as well. I call it the suspense chord and it gets me every time I'm a sucker for it. I yeah. love it. I love that. Mm. And, and like you said, it, for this in particular, this third chorus, it add, it even adds more to that tension that's already there. You know, all the greats, Duke Ellington, they never start or end, like they, they might end on the one, but they'd always start on the two. You know, mm-hmm. and I love that where you feel like even if it's just for your own sense of things where you think oh, this is for me, this is why we're doing it, you know. Sure, sure. Well, uh, John, I just want to thank you for sitting in. Uh, congratulations on, on on all your success. And let the listeners know what's going on in your world. Switchfoot, what, what do you got coming up? What's going on? Yeah, we just put out our 12th album. It's called Interabang. And an Interabang is a question mark uh, juxtaposed on top of an exclamation mark, which feels like the season we're in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it was made in la sound city with tony berg and we're really proud of it we think it's one of our our best records and we've been uh we were on tour last year we're hoping to get out again this year and i mean i mean like with every band right where you're like i'm not sure what that means but we hope to see you soon (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's that's what's going on with us and i feel just so thankful to be alive thankful to you're talking music. Thanks for thanks for uh, the great questions. Thanks for being on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Hey, everybody! Don't touch that dial. There's plenty more. Chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Death or Fireworks from Sydney, Australia. They're a five-piece band that blends acoustic guitar riffs, catchy choruses, and a whole lot of love. Here's a snippet of their song, 
I wrote this song for you. I know rock and roll just ain't her thing But she's always side of stage when I sing I wrote this song for you It's all that I can do This girl, she may be the one She's so smart The Rap with Chris and Chris. So, Chris, before we get into talking about this episode, I got to tell you one thing. (laughs) It's really funny about every time you're recording an episode, what I do the entire time. And that is... I snack so hard while you're recording your podcast. I don't know. Something about just as the producer of this show, just there's nothing wrong. Just this natural sort of anxiety just makes me snack so hard. I made fake chicken nuggets. I ate Ritz crackers, cheese, all kind of stuff. But I do that every time you're recording an episode. Did you know that? I I did not know that. And um, (laughs) luckily for you, you haven't gained any visible weight. I mean, right. (laughs) <laughs> After 80, 100 episodes, whatever we've done, I mean, you you could be uh, se- severely uh, obese here, Chris. And that, I thought that, that's the last thing I thought you were going to tell me just now. Hey, well, I usually work out right before this, too. That <laughs> might contribute to, to it, but it's the same thing. Like, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm like watching a football game or something. I just I snack so hard. But I just want to tell you that I thought that's pretty funny, like how much I snack during that episode. You were, meant, you were meant to snack for so much more. I was meant for something <laughs> more, more snacks. <laughs> but I thought that episode was great. I thought John was, and, and John, if you're listening, I mean this in the nicest way possible. I thought he was the most San Diego guy ever. <laughs> and, and what's funny is I'm like, he kind of looks like a surfer. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, their band's named after a surfing term and they really love to surf. And he just has that whole vibe about him. Like, I, I want to be friends with him. I want to go hit the waves with him. You know, he's a well, very cool, chill guy. And not that you have to uh, be college educated uh, you know, to be articulate and, but just, you know, he kept talking about being a college uh, dropout, but, uh, this guy was just, uh, well put together. He had a lot of, a lot of great, uh, great insight and great things to say about the song. It's a very philosophical guy. And I like that he's philosophical in a very friendly way. And I could see, I don't mean to keep bringing this back to surfing. I don't know if he still surfs, but I know that that was like part of their background, but I could see someone who's out there in the waves experiencing nature and, to, to get into philosophy, he brought up Kierkegaard. Now, <laughs> you know, I, of course, as you probably did too, Chris, took philosophy classes in college. And, you know, I pick up bits here and there, whether it's Socrates or Confucius or Karl Marx or whoever it is. You pick up bits and pieces here. But Kierkegaard is a guy that I have several friends who are like very into Kierkegaard, who I guess he's considered kind of the first existentialist philosopher basically meaning you're, you're thinking about like why are you here why do i exist which really fits into the theme of this song yeah for sure um uh, like i said he was just very well spoken and some of the references that he was that he was pointing out was just uh you know sometimes <laughs> you can't judge a book by its cover like you see this long-haired surfer guy and he starts speaking like wait a second the, ma- the mouth doesn't match the look but uh yeah I, th- I thought he was great and and, and i meant it what i said to him this this song is a a great track it's really cool that a lot of times with existentialism you have this thing it's called existential angst which is basically you feel dread 
in the face of thinking that all of this is meaningless or all of this is so absurd. But I feel like the theme of this song is more putting that feeling in a positive light. Like this is the opposition to that. This is like having confidence in our existence. Like there's something more to this. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that that's what I that's what I take for this. And that's what I take from this song. And uh, uh, also what I took from this episode, I thought it was cool that uh, it sounds like they busted out this song in half a day in the studio. Is that what he said? I mean, yeah, I kept saying to him, did this change that? He's like, it happened so quick. He's like, I wrote it. We didn't even demo it. Uh, went in. It was the first track that they cut for, for the record. And he said producer John Fields just worked at this insanely rapid pace, which um, I agreed. I, I'd rather have a, a producer going breakneck than, uh, like I said, there's nothing worse than sitting in a studio lounge for five hours lamenting over you know what the bass part should be. And you just waste time. It's non-productive, and usually at the end of it, you end up going back to your first idea because you didn't get anywhere. Right. You get to the point where you don't like the song anymore just because you're sick of it. It could be a great song, and you're sick of it. I know you've experienced that. I've experienced that in my band. We've had songs we've completely scrapped, like recorded everything, got to the vocals, (laughs) just experienced this recently. We uncovered a couple songs from 10 years ago that like were finished except for the vocals. We just were so sick of trying to figure it out that we just like, nope. So- you know, like he said, you're talking about the breakneck speed of recording here. Does it sound good? All right, go. And he said, that's the way he likes to work. And I think that's a great way to work if, if you can make that work. Yeah, there's something to be said about that that spontaneity. I mean, if you're sitting around and you think it sounds great and you're looking at the producer and the rest of the guys in the band and you're all in the moment and you're like, that sounds awesome. Then then, <laughs> it's not broke, don't fix it. What else is there to do at that point? You, you run with it. I really love the thing he said about not chasing what you think will move others, but just create what moves you. Because I'll be honest, there's been times where I or or my band have tried to think like, what would really relate to people, you know? I think 99.9% of the time, that song is going to fall flat and be a dud. It, it usually does when you try or set out to write a hit. It's just, it, hits just happen. They it, Most of the time, they happen because you were sitting there in, in the room with your acoustic playing a song that, that gave you those goosebumps, that made you feel good, that, that, that made you want to share it with somebody else. And uh, th- those are the ones that become the hits. If you're putting yourself into the song and not just trying to like, please others i think uh you gotta you gotta have a little confidence in yourself that if it pleases you it will please other people um and it all comes down to i like several times he said that uh he didn't want to think of of songwriting as like a sudoku puzzle and that makes a lot of sense because i think a lot of people do think of it that way yeah i i would agree with you there and uh and speaking of puzzles uh something that really puzzles me is is why anyone on earth wouldn't join our supporting cast. I it doesn't make any sense to me, man. I know I know it's our supporting cast program, but for real, for a few bucks a month, you can help us keep making this podcast forever if you enjoy it and you get you get extra episodes every week and you could be on Defeat the Megs. You know the deal. We're always talking about this, but if you want to help us out, you can go to chrisdemakes.com. You sign up there. You get the after-party episodes. You can be on Defeat the Megs. There's lots of other stuff. Discounts on merch. We're going to have some Zoom parties coming up. We're trying to incorporate more and more things into it. And, yeah, for the cost of buying me and Chris a beer every month because you like our podcast, you can help us continue making this thing. 
That's right. We'd love to have you be a part of it. we got a lot of great surprises coming in the uh, in the next few months. So please uh, go over to KristaMakes.com and sign up and uh, be part of our supporting cast. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, please give me a follow on Instagram at LessThanChristy. And I'm still doing those custom songs. Get at me, KristaMakes at gmail.com. I'd love to write you or that special someone a very, very cool song uh, or a jingle for your business. I do those too. So I want to thank uh, this week's guest, John Foreman from Switchfoot, for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.